What is the science of reading? What are leaders doing to accelerate reading achievement? We answer these questions and more in Science of Reading Leadership, Guiding Minds, Transforming Lives, powered by Just Right Reader. Hello to all of our Science of Reading Leadership podcast listeners. Welcome to this week's episode. We are thrilled to introduce you to this week's guest. We have Dr. Julia B. Lindsay. Uh, Dr. Lindsay is a former elementary school teacher turned foundational literacy expert and consultant. Her work focuses on ensuring all children have access to the highest quality instruction to become empowered young readers. Dr. Lindsay, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be with you today. We can't wait to learn from you. So the question that I always am interested in is how you got into the field of education. I feel like everyone has such an amazing story about how they came to this field. And so let's kick off by finding out a little bit about your background, how you got here, the passion that you bring to this work. Give it to us. Yeah, that's a great question. And I, like I think so many people who are dedicated to helping people, thought that I was going to be a medical doctor when I was in college. Um, and I was taking all these chemistry classes and physics classes and all that sort of thing. And then I started looking for a summer job when I was um, finishing up my sophomore year. And I kind of honestly stumbled across a posting for the Freedom Schools, um, which is out of the Children's Defense Fund, and ended up teaching the K-1-2 summer class for that cohort of kids um, after my sophomore year. And the Freedom Schools is really a model of supporting kids in a summer reading program in a really empowering and culturally responsive manner. And I just fell in love with teaching kids. It was the best summer. And I just thought, wow, actually, this is what I should be doing. And I also fell in love with teaching reading. Um, and in that program, the focus is really on comprehension and deep thinking work, as well as inspiring children to see themselves in stories and to think deeply about um, societal issues as well. And so after the end of the summer, I actually said to the program director, you know, this was such an amazing experience, but I thought it was kind of weird that we didn't teach these little kids how to read. We did all this great work, but the older kids, they already knew how and they could engage with these books. But our younger kids, we just had to read aloud to them and they never actually got the chance to do their own reading. And so um, I said, with no business, by the way, doing this, um, I said, could I develop a phonics program to go along with our great program to add in next summer on some of the afternoons. And for reasons that I still am shocked by, she said yes, that I could do that. Um, and again, I had really no business doing this. I was well, yeah. not even education major. I was going to say, was this before you had even taken any education classes? It was. It was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I did everything I could to try to figure out what that program should look like. It was not the best, but it also wasn't the worst, what I came up with. And we did see pretty significant gains in kids' oral reading fluency over that summer. So that was exciting. But that was kind of my first foray into teaching reading and into also really being a phonics nerd, right? I, I really think I showed my true colors there where I um, demonstrated that I was going to be somebody who really cares about those early skills and making sure children have access not only to the richness of language and of text out there so they can comprehend anything that they want, but also access to reading those words and achieving 
as much proficiency as they can. Um, so that's actually how I got into this. And then I went on to teach kindergarten and first grade and get my PhD at the University of Michigan um, because I decided that I wanted to continue to learn and, and make a different kind of impact. That's fascinating. I love that you um, created an entire phonics program without having even attended elementary education coursework. That's great. Yeah, I don't recommend it. And I guess I love the fact that your uh, dissertation work was on phonics because at least all of that work that you did to become a phonics nerd led to <laughs> something. That is right. Yes. Yeah. And then um, honestly, I did not think like I was a phonics nerd when I was teaching um, in the classroom and then returning to school and being in graduate school reignited kind of some of my deep love of those foundational skills, as well as my understanding of all of the research that has historically not been accessible to educators and really wanted to share more with folks about how do we really best support those early decoding skills and make sure that every child can be an excellent early reader so that did in part lead to parts of my dissertation, as well as actually I did work with another Freedom Schools group during that as well. So continue to um, be able to have those kinds of connections too. Well, let's talk about your expertise in um, teaching students decoding skills. What are some of the things that your research has taught you and your experience? Obviously, those two are probably very intertwined. Um, what are some of the things that we need to be doing in our classrooms in order to be teaching decoding skills effectively? I think the top thing that we all need to consider is precision. And we typically have always taught decoding skills to some extent. We've taught phonics. A lot of folks have taught phonemic awareness, even if they weren't calling it that by saying, you know, slide through the sounds or put the sounds back together, or what's the first sound in this word. And we all, I think for the most part, we could say pretty much everybody has taught phonics at least since the early 2000s, but there wasn't necessarily the same precision that we really need to bring to all of these skills and particularly a precision in helping kids apply those skills to texts and to spelling. And so I think today when we think about what does research really help us understand about teaching foundational skills and teaching decoding, it helps us really understand the precision that we need to bring to all of these moments, because what, what's happening in children's brains is really quite incredible mm -hmm. and it is not natural and it takes a lot of work. And so when we can bring understandings about all of these different components and how precisely they need to work together to reach those moments of mastery of individual skills and actually decoding through a word and having that moment of success of I did it then I think we start to realize that one of the primary things we should be looking for is precision. I like that, uh, the the word precision, right? I love this. It, it really lends itself to automaticity. It lends itself to fluency. Like all of those things have to come together for us to have precision. Um, as you've done the work and even as you worked with some of the students as you were developing your program, right? <laughs> what were, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing as um, the work is developing in the schools and in the programs and in the um, work that you're doing? 
Yeah, so today, most of the work that I do is working directly with districts and regional agencies and uh, individual schools themselves to support high-quality foundational skills instruction and also, more broadly, elementary literacy instruction. And I would say one of the biggest challenges right now is trying to look through this huge, vast landscape of information coming from social media, coming from popular press articles, coming from researchers themselves, and trying to discern what is the most important things that we need to be doing to really move the needle for our kids, and what are the sets of knowledge that teachers really need. So we can. I really think about this about three kind of components that are coming together, the first being teacher knowledge. What do you actually need to know in these moments to best support kids? The second being materials and curriculum. What do I actually need to get this done? In many situations, we might have a lot of teacher knowledge and we might really be lacking a material. For example, some high quality decodable text to actually put those into the hands of kids and get the work done. And then finally, the last would be teacher practice. So sometimes we can be super knowledgeable and we can have the right materials in front of us, but we're still not quite sure what is the right routine to be using here or what is the right phrasing of this feedback or this prompt for a kid. So we need to be really thinking about this trifecta of elements that can best serve us in those instructional moments. And depending on kind of where you're at with your school, you might be having difficulty in one or all of those areas because you're getting so much information that it's hard to kind of sift through, well, what's the most important piece of knowledge? What's the most important practice? Um, so thinking about how can we lift up those ideas and really the consensus ideas around research so that we can drive forward change in the most efficient and effective manner. This episode is brought to you by Just Right Reader. Extend phonics instruction, strengthen school-home partnerships, and accelerate reading achievement with take-home decodable packs from Just Right Reader. Personalized take-home packs make phonics fun and accessible for families. Every book comes with a video phonics lesson and writing pages to help readers reinforce their decoding and writing skills. To learn more, visit JustRightReader.com. That is just so clear and eloquent how you put, how you've really phrased everything, even just from the precision piece, because um, I was kind of, unex that was an unexpected answer to the question that I gave, that precision was the answer. And then same thing for when you're talking through the teacher knowledge, the materials and the teacher practice, it's just so succinct. When you're working particularly with district leaders, what does your work generally look like as you're helping district leaders to consider those three pieces? Are you doing some sort of audit or are you giving district leaders specific knowledge? Um, what is that kind of, what do district leaders need to be doing? Yeah, this is a really great question. And absolutely, the first step is what do we know as district leaders about what's happening in classrooms? And really taking a step into classrooms with me or, you know, sending me in and I'll take copious notes um, depending on what the setup of that district is and really discussing, okay, what is happening in a typical literacy experience for kids? And then taking a look at how does that match the ways of being of a district. So we have these assessment systems. We have these curricular systems. We have these kind of beliefs about kids or teachers. How have those potentially driven what we then see instructionally? And then taking a look at that landscape of where are we now? And then 
superimposing that on, well, what does the research tell us? And noticing where we're having discrepancies and then saying together, where is the first place that we can push on that's going to make the highest impact change? So for example, a lot of district leaders might be hearing a lot of information about different aspects of the science of reading. And they might be hearing, oh my goodness, I saw this article or I heard this podcast or I saw in this curriculum, we really, really need to make sure that students are getting sound walls and putting up sound walls in every classroom. And so the first change we're going to make is really leaning on sound walls. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with them. And I'm really just using this as an example. But unfortunately, right now, we actually have zero research on sound walls. So we really can't say that they're going to make an impact on kids. So instead, we can take a step and we can say, actually, let's take a look at the research. Let's take a look at what's currently happening. And let's think, what is most likely to cause the biggest impact on kids if we change it? And sometimes it's really small things. Sometimes it's, okay, actually, after observing teachers, even though they have this phonics program, everyone is missing the one moment of systematic explicit instruction. They keep skipping over the sentence of B spells B and instead asking the class, what does B spell? And then we're missing that one critical moment. So it's not necessarily always big things that we can take as a first step. But then thinking about how can we create a system of steps like that where we can see kind of continuous growth and continually stay excited about these changes within our system to the point where over time, we're gonna see a big bang for our buck in students' outcomes and in teacher knowledge and confidence. And hopefully everybody's pretty happy too. I like that. Like, that's important. And I think it, you said it kind of like, yeah, but I think that that's another thing that we as educators have to keep in the forefront of our mind, right? If we're not having fun as educators, then they're not going to have fun. And if they're not having a good time, then it's going to be torturous. And so just even though that was like the last part of all that you said, I think it really does bring it all together because when we know where we're going and we know why we're going there and we're making little changes, we're all feeling successful and happy and having a good time. And that's going to make, that's going to help move the needle too. You know, so I love that you you added that. So um, like you said, a lot of your work does focus on high quality instruction. And I've heard that word for a long time. Right. That was like a, a buzzword for a very long time. So give us your definition of what quality instruction is and what it looks like in the classroom. All right, so I'm going to focus in on high-quality foundational skills because obviously we are going to have some differences depending on what <laughs> subject area we're talking about. Right, right. So I'll tell you four primary things, four primary tenets of high-quality foundational skills instruction. The first is going to be that it's explicit and systematic. It's really critical that we are directly telling children what they need to know, and we're doing it in a logical order. I know sometimes it feels weird to be so direct with children, but this is by far the most efficient and effective way to teach these skills when we see that in decades of research. The second is that, again, kind of extending that idea, we need to be efficient and effective. This is not actually a time of day that should be taking a long, long time. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, a new meta-analysis on the optimal instructional timing of phonemic awareness instruction came out that demonstrated that 
the optimal amount of phonemic awareness instruction seems to be about 10.2 hours. And so that's not actually that much time. If we divided that by 180 days, it's about three and a half minutes. So we really need to be thinking about how are we structuring this time so that we're using the most effective routines. And these routines have to be efficient. Taking more time for foundational skills is not always going to lead to better outcomes, especially if we're not using more effective routines and practices. And then the third is that we need to be responsive to actual kids. And so that means first that we are privileging and supporting and responding to children's backgrounds, mm -hmm. communities, sources of knowledges, and their linguistic strengths from other languages as well. And it also means that we are responding to kids' needs in our classroom. If you're teaching second grade, but you know 80% of your students are still struggling with the alphabet, then we need to be thinking about how can we best leverage that whole class phonics time to meet that kind of need, even if it might be a little different than what we're used to doing in second grade. And then the last one, and I think is one of the most important, is that it, we have to integrate foundational skills instruction with real reading and writing. The whole point of teaching these skills is for kids to become readers and writers. There's really no point to any of these skills if children are not able to use them in the service of reading and writing. You could be the best nonsense word decoder in the world, but that's not going to open up more opportunities for you unless we support you in actually applying it to text. So when we're thinking about that foundational skills experience, really looking for evidence of teachers engaging in practices that are leading to these things. So if we walk into a classroom looking for things like, how often is a teacher talking versus kids talking? When we see in research, what is how much practice should kids be getting in foundational skills? We see it's about 1.8 practice opportunities per minute. So kids should be doing the vast majority of practice and talking and thinking and decoding and encoding in phonics lessons. And that means if we see that happening, we see a teacher who's being concise and explicit and systematic, she's being efficient and effective with those routines, then we should see tons and tons of practice. We should see a teacher who's able to respond to kids and give feedback in the moment to correct and incorrect answers. And we should see uh, kind of connection points throughout the day to real reading and writing. If we walk into a class during read aloud and there's a decodable word that happens to also be a vocabulary word, we should see evidence that there is connections there supporting kids and recognizing, hey, this is useful learning that I can actually use to do real reading and real writing with. It's not something that's just siloed in another time of day. Mm -hmm. I think you hit the nail on the head there that really it's whoever is doing the reading and the writing and the speaking is the person who's doing the learning. And so if we can make sure that kids are the ones who are doing the reading, writing and speaking, then we have a better out. We have better outcomes, right? Because they're actually doing the learning. So um, absolutely. Dr. Lindsay, tell us a little bit more. You're a published author. We'd love to know a little bit more about your book. <laughs> yeah. So my book is called Reading Above the Fray, and it is all about decoding skills. Um, there's a little bit in there about some of these other foundational skills, but it's primarily about what is decoding, why is it so important, and then how do we actually get kids to be excellent at decoding both single syllable words and multisyllabic words. And the way the book is structured is really around thinking about what does the research tell us about these ideas and concepts, and then what are some practices that we can swap 
um, into our classroom to increase the impact of our instruction. So it's written um, and it covers many of the things I've said today, in, but maybe said in different words. And it's really written to be a, a welcome and a friendly kind of experience. I hope that other folks uh, believe that when they read it, uh, because I really want anyone to feel like they can engage in this work and we can all be a part of this and we can all kind of take steps at our own pace to continue to learn about uh, what the research says about reading and to continue to actually input that into our classroom practice. I think that um, you've given us so many great like nuggets, you know, you're, you're, I can tell that you're efficient and effective, right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> because you've given us such really great, concise um, nuggets that we can really take and um, process. So I know if you're presenting your your information this way, that the book is going to be really easy to take in. And I can't wait to dive into it. Um, and you did kind of hit on this question already, but I do want to circle back and ask the question, um, as you think about quality instruction, as you think about decodables and um, the, the practices that we can do to really have some high quality instructions, if you had to choose two things, right, two things, what are the two things you would tell our leaders, our school leaders that they can do to begin to support literacy and ensure quality instruction in their buildings? Okay, only two things. Hmm. <laughs> That's tough, but I will tell you the biggest thing that I think to, that is critical to think about is that when we look at the research on what impacts teacher knowledge and what impacts teacher practice and then what impacts student outcomes, we see that it's not just one thing. So we can drive change in teacher knowledge with things like professional development, and we can drive things in teacher practice with things like coaching. But to actually drive differences in student outcomes, we need a holistic model of thinking about how are we fully supporting teachers in really doing something different. So that means that we need to be investing in professional learning, coaching and on the ground kind of instructional support, better materials for kids, and when appropriate, real scripted and or clear lesson plans and curriculum for teachers to take up and then, of course, make their own um, along the way as well. But thinking about, I want to change literacy, I would encourage everybody to think about, okay, here's this whole landscape of things that we need to get our hands around not just saying, okay, if I send my teachers to this, everything will be okay. And so that would be my first thing is try to take a big view of it and maybe even make a plan for how you might address these things over the course of several years, not just a month or one year even, but over the course of several years. This is a big, big change for a lot of folks. And then the second thing I would say is, again, think about what is that first bite you don't have to change it all in a day. And in fact, I would say that changing everything all at once is probably not going to get you anywhere better than you might be right now. Instead, think about what's one high leverage, high impact change we can make that we can get everybody on board with. What's something that we can all feel really good about? Maybe it's, okay, in the early grades, we're going to get some decodable texts 
and we're going to learn one decodable text routine to use in small group that we're all going to feel really good about. And maybe that's the first step for you. Maybe it's something else, but thinking about what's something that we can kind of all get around and cheer about and feel good about and really engage with in a way where teachers can feel confident and kids can also see themselves learning and use that as a starting point for all of these other big changes that need to happen. Perfect advice. Dr. Lindsay, if we have um, folks listening to the podcast who want to know more about you, want to know more about your work, where can we send them? You can always find me at Julia B. Lindsay. Um, That's just my name with the middle initial in there. And you can find me on social media. I'm on Instagram and I post little videos about research and implications for practice. Um, You can find me at juliablindsay.com as well for more information about my work. And uh, you can technically also find me on Facebook and X, but I am not nearly as active on that. So, um, we all have our me, platforms but... that we're active on. You can't do them all, it seems. So. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being with us. It's always such a treat to talk to researchers who have a background also in teaching. I just think we get this incredible wisdom, and you are absolutely no exception to that. So thank you so much for being here. We've loved learning from you. And until next time, on the Science of Reading Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. If you found this conversation valuable, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next time on Science of Reading Leadership, guiding minds, transforming lives.